Um, welcome everyone who's joined in. Good day to you, wherever you've joined in from. Um, it is the critical dialogue, I thought, highly relevant with scores of people reporting uh, problems with mental wellness post-pandemic of now over 18 months or so. The trauma has not spared anyone, young and old alike, business and working professionals, gender, race, culture, nationalities, the whole world. Today, many the world over are dealing with the devastating losses of both the personal and the professional kind. From losing dear ones to the loss of jobs and relationships to accumulating huge business losses, people still seem to be reeling under the after effects of a calamity of proportions they would never have imagined they would face in their lifetime. I was just talking to Carl and I asked him to tell me about what he thinks is the way forward and the steps one can take to recover, reignite and rejuvenate one's life when faced with such physical and emotional upheaval. He said to me, three, it simply boils down to making a choice between bad thinking and good thinking. I just wanted to explore further on the critical dialogue as I asked him to tell me more, you know, and who better than Carl himself, who is a great example of someone who lost it and fought, fought well to recover all what he lost. Hello and welcome to another episode of the TCD Live Weekend Lounge. And I'm your host, Sri Kumar, with co-host Tori Davis and conversation with our special guest, very special, Carl Berry on the topic, mental wellness, recovery, and active change of ideas and attitudes. But before I introduce you all to Carl, I just wanted to let you know that as with all TCD Live Weekend Lounge shows, we have reserved space for all our wonderful and supportive attendees to come on stage and express themselves. That would happen um, towards the end of the show for sure. So remember to stay tuned with us uh, till the very end. Also, please feel free to use the chat window to pose your questions, thoughts, and ideas. Tori, I, and uh, my friend Nagin, we will all try to get those served on the launch table for a dialogue. Uh, Carl Berry was an All-American athlete, member of the National Honor Society, and who's who. He was a published author, professional musician, and a mid-level manager with a telephone company. Carl has worked in business-to-business -business sales and managed phone sales rooms. During these 25 years, he was, as he says, an active drug addict, using all day, every day. Today, after 26 years in recovery, Carl is the Senior Executive Director of the nonprofit organization, Community Care Resource Council. He's known in professional circles as a health convener, a referral resource, a connector. Carl has extensive global connections that include governments, faith leaders, regardless of their beliefs and behavior, and health resource providers. 
His help has proven beneficial to organizations and individuals alike. Carl's affiliations around the globe appear limitless when it comes to life circumstances and its entanglements. Problems such as substance misuse, mental health issues, adverse child, childhood experiences, homelessness, recidivism, social awareness, community development, food provision, and more. Community care is Mr. Berry's passion. So welcome to the show, Carl. Um, we are so glad that you are here. And uh, let me just uh, start off this dialogue today uh, by asking you why this show is about mental wellness, recovery, active change of ideas and thoughts. Tell us a little about your story. Early days to growing up, school, college, your first job, so that the all of us understand, you know, the entire process as to how people can move from uh, just plain recovery to making a life for themselves. Carl? Good morning, everyone. I think I'm glad to be here. Wait till I watch the recording and you'll find out. Um, first of all, I, uh, I ask uh, always when I speak uh, that uh, the higher power of my understanding be with me. If you're praying people, I pray along with me that I'm able to say whatever it is needs to be said today. In response to your question, I first want to start today before I go back to yesteryear. And my belief system is that we live in a world of crazy. Common term for mental health is crazy. Uh, and that may sound a little intense, uh, but here's what I'm getting towards. We have two words of stigma. Uh, mental health, and I believe the solution to mental health is spiritual in nature. But when people hear mental health, they go straight to uh, extreme circumstances like uh, schizophrenia, catatonic states. And when they hear spiritual, they go straight to religion. And so that's why I believe in reducing it to the least common denominator, which is thinking. Uh, good thinking versus bad thinking is about as simple as it gets. And I believe that the societal worlds of the planet, world gone crazy, is simply good thinking versus bad thinking. You pick an issue, homelessness, uh, pornography, racism, capitalism, uh, war, Whatever you boil it down to, it really still boils down to good thinking versus bad thinking. And I shared with Shree my thought about ideas and attitudes uh, or what makes up recovery. And ideas are just good thoughts and attitudes are your feelings. And I was always taught my feelings are not my friends. I, uh, 
took my first drug at age 14 on a Wednesday night. I took a hit and I became an intellectual giant. I, I took a second hit, I became a phenomenal dancer. And at the third hit, I became God's gift to women. So with that experience, I bought a substantial quantity on Friday morning. This had happened on Wednesday night. On Friday morning, I bought a substantial quantity and I did drugs all day, every day for the next 18 years. I uh, did not slowly become addicted. I became immediately addicted and enjoyed every moment of it. I did all of my drugs for the first decade by myself. I thought I was hiding it from other people. And so uh, for me, I did not fit in. I, because of my skin color, uh, people ask me yet today, what are you? And I, if I told them the truth, I'd tell them, I don't know. <laughs> uh, mama's baby, daddy's maybe. My mother cut my mo father's throat in the hospital the day I was born uh, because of the complexion of my skin. I was lighter complected than she or my dad was a dark skinned black man. My mother was brown skinned and I came out looking like this, mama's baby, daddy's baby. And the kids uh, used to jump on me. I used to fight a lot. Uh, the black kids beat me up because they said I was white and I had curly hair. The white kids beat me up because they said I was black and had nappy hair. And the Mexicans beat me up because they said uh, I couldn't speak Spanish. They thought I was Spanish in nature and therefore a traitor uh, to the race. Um, my grandmother came and got me from the hospital, actually from the babysitters. My mother had left me there, had been there three days. My milk was sour, my diaper was soiled, and I weighed less than I did the day I was born. And she explained to me, had it not been for her, uh, I wouldn't have made it. And frankly, all I heard was uh, my daddy cut my mama's throat because of me. My mama left me at the babysitters. Turns out my grandmother was actually my step-grandmother. She had been my grandfather's girlfriend. And after all the kids grew up, he divorced my real grandmother and married her. And my aunts and uncles would say uh, that she was using me to hold on to their daddy. So needless to say, I didn't fit in. In the fifth grade, the judge, they took me to court because of fighting. And the judge put a restraining order on a 12 year old. I had 30 minutes to get to school and 30 minutes to get home at which time I couldn't leave 10 feet from my front door. And my, the kids would play baseball uh, 12 feet from my house. And so consequently, I uh, was tra traumatized. You know, we talk about PTSD and it's just not for people in the military. I was traumatized as a child and uh, went through a lot of mental responses 
uh, to not fitting in, to not belonging, uh, to not being liked. And so I don't know if that answers your question, Cherie, but um, I am a victim, I believe, of cultural confusion. I spent most of my life observing all of these communities that I didn't quite fit in. And from observation, it causes me to have the perspective that I do today, that we live in a world gone crazy and the solution of the problems is spiritual in nature. And that is that we want to participate in wholesome thinking, virtuous living, and try to combat the craziness that we experience in the world, no matter what the source of the bias. Okay, so uh, when, when you say cultural confusion, uh, a little bit more, I think you mentioned that in terms of uh, at least uh, uh, with regards to the color of the skin and how people perceived and so on. But uh, what I would want to know from you is uh, if people are facing that dissonance and uh, most people around the world and it's, we can relate, I can relate in terms of the cognitive dissonance which happens and especially with regards to the culture we are in today and in a truly global sense, uh, how does one actually uh, deal with it or what is that mantra which uh, uh, you would like to you know, state at this point in time so that you know people understand that uh, how to deal or at least make a beginning with regards to dealing with uh, cultural confusion? Well, I, I want to return to thoughts and feelings, uh, ideas and attitudes, uh, because cultural definitions are masked. A lot of people think it's based on melanoma. Mm -hmm. based on the color of your skin, based on your language. It's much broader, higher and wider uh, than that. Culture can be age, can be education, can be socioeconomic. Culture uh, has barriers even between uh, races. Uh, like I said, I was a ostracized in the black community because I had light complexion and that is a affectionate term is a house Negro and the field of blacks did not like people like me. And when Martin Luther King and uh, Malcolm X came along, I was torn between who I would follow and I'm running around raising my hand hollering black power and all they could say, boy, you ain't black. And so uh, I've suffered from a belief system said all I ever wanted to do was feel good about myself. And what I found out is I always wanted to be different. And I did not acknowledge nor recognize the fact that I was different. I didn't fit in. And so the confusion comes in because it's not just the people around me that are confused. I heard Tori speak. And one of the things he touched on was that 
we are victims of our ancestors' ancestors. Uh, there's a th theory called ap ap uh, epigenetics, which we don't know a whole lot about. But what it's saying is the slave master 400 years ago called the slaves together and said, read the Bible to them. He said, masters, slaves, obey your masters. And so he pointed out, see, this is a good thing that we're taking care of you. We're feeding you. Uh, you don't have to do anything but what we tell you. And then he explained to them that uh, we are obviously supposed to be ruling your people. We're smarter than you. And so therefore, we are doing for you what you can't do for yourself. And guess what? 400 years later, I still have to overcome the cultural confusion I have about myself because I think that I am less intelligent. They showed films with, you know, they measured people's heads and uh, did tests on them. You know, we, we're familiar with the thing called an IQ test, but IQ test is still culturally skewed. And so therefore, when it comes to culture and the confusion within a culture, we have to understand that it's a, it's an age thing. It's a thing where I'm blind to what's influencing my thoughts and attitudes. And so are the people around me. Uh, first thing they tell you is people want to be judged by their intentions and not their actions, not understanding that their actions uh, reflect their intentions and their beliefs. I had a meeting recently with a uh, a guy that uh, was interviewing an African-American uh, to come and do some counseling. And he wanted him to feel welcome. So he said, well, we're going to have a dinner. Do you like barbecue? And I was just waiting for him to say, would you want some watermelon with that? Uh, the guy says, well, I specifically like turkey and chicken. But if that's what you want to do, he didn't realize that he was being insulted he didn't realize his comments were culturally confused. He didn't realize that when he looked to him and he said that uh, he had a bio, it said he was the Prince of Preachers and the Golden Voice of the South. And this guy who grew up in, in I call it Pucky Huddle, a very, very small community, said, who talks about themselves like that? And, uh, and I said, hey, this guy does. <laughs> Yeah, and, and you think it's something wrong with that because of your perspective and you want to protect the, your people and the people you think are following you because of your perspective. Uh, but none of us really think the same way. Our ideas and our attitudes are driven by our processes. Some of us uh, grew up with uh, bias in our households and some of us didn't. And we don't, and some of us that grew up with biases rejected those. Very common, an alcoholic father has a child that says, I'll never act like that. And so those are the kind of things that we have to understand. It's not one size fits all. It's not common uh, knowledge or belief system. And Carl, that, that's wonderful. I actually had an experience last weekend where um, I was with a group of people and someone said, oh, I can tell 
there are a lot of black people at that restaurant because of the type of cars that were in the parking lot. And I looked at the parking lot and it just looked like any normal cars that be in front of a Target or a Walmart or anywhere else. And I let them know then and there that that was not an appropriate comment and it was very insensitive and they didn't understand how that was insensitive. So I think there's a lot of cultural confusion on, on many fronts. Um, and that, that kind of brings us to one of the points you talked about was recovery. And you say that needs an active change of ideas and thoughts. So can you explain a little bit more about what that means when you talk about recovery, having an active idea and, and, and changing thoughts? And how can someone um, get back what he or she lost? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to preface it with that recovery is getting back what you lost. Uh, but somebody will say, but I got stuff from recovery that I never had. Well, you did, but what you had lost was opportunities. So you're still getting back what you lost and getting something new. Ideas and attitudes are limited by the influence of those things that are causing you problems, whether it's domestic violence, whether it's racism, whether it's substances. Your ideas are driven by the things that are impacting your thinking. Uh, it's common sense to know that if you do drugs, uh, you're either going to be speeding or uh, you're going to be nodding, as they say. So you're either going to be moving very fast or very slow. If you're drinking, you're going to be drunk. You're going to be staggering. And you're going to be slurring your words. Well, your ideas are impaired. So if you are in need of recovery because of any outside circumstance, your thinking process is impaired because of the burden you're trying to overcome. And then your feelings are also impaired, case in point, where I felt like I was not as smart as my white counterparts because that's what I grew up with. That's the understanding I had. So ideas and attitudes, as it deals with recovery and it deals with getting back what you lost to me, are driven uh, by the norms, by the biases, by the misunderstandings, by the accusations, sometimes even unvoiced. You know, I, uh, I recently joined an organization. There's a book that I bought them, which basically defined racism. And uh, they were highly offended because they felt I was calling them a racist. And they don't understand that, well, you're going to offer the guy barbecue and watermelon if you're going to talk about the cars in the parking lot that is racist. And then we have a thing called systematic racism. Uh, when I was 10 years old, I grew up in a town where uh, the, the black people in the community couldn't get a loan for a house. They couldn't go to a local restaurant. I grew up at the only all black school in the state of Texas, the entire state. And the only place that black educators could work was in that school. Now, that may seem like a disadvantage, but think about what kind of an advantage it really turned into. 
we got the best and the brightest educators from out of the black community. Uh, these people were dedicated and they were uh, definitely designed to make good students out of their kids. And from that high school, Sumner High School in Kansas City, Kansas, has a long legacy of very renowned people, people that walk with King, people that are historians, people that are doctors, lawyers, and Indian chiefs, people that are admirals in the Navy, people that have a lot of different things. And I went from that high school to a place where I was the only black man on campus. I went to school on a basketball scholarship. It had been an all girls nursing school and they converted to co-ed and started a basketball team the year I came to that school as a freshman. And remember now, I'm still doing drugs all day, every day. I am convinced I'm God's gift to women. And so I tried to share myself with all of the nursing schools students at the school. And uh, from there, I actually went to a place where I was hired without a college degree uh, for a, 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 a telephone company because they were trying to prove that blacks and females would not be accepted by the white businessmen. Uh, the, and so when that happened, uh, I took the job. I found out uh, that a lot of people would uh, interview me and they would deal with me because they just wanted to see if I could talk. They wanted to see, you know, me dance, so to speak. And I remember going to an auto dealership and I was walking up with my briefcase to that dealership and a man came out waving his hands frantically and he met me at the front door and said, look, boy, we don't allow Negroes in here. And being astute and quick on my feet, I said, well, that's good. I'm not here to talk about black or white. I'm here to talk about green. Do you like money? And at that point, I opened my briefcase, made a presentation on the steps of his automobile dealership. Uh, this was in 1976. 78, and I made $5,000 on the sale. That was a lot of money at that time. And uh, I, he, he left me with the comment, boy, you ain't half bad for a Negro. And so what I learned was there was advantages by this cultural confusion. I also was brought into confidence from some people that were Irish, some people that were Italian, and some people that were Jewish because even in their community, they had grown up with bias. Now, some of them uh, escaped it, but in the 1920s, if you were Irish, it was just like being black. Italian, just like being black, Jewish was worse. And so consequently, uh, these people had felt a kinship with me. And when they showed me up, they wanted to help me. They wanted to help uh, solve some of the confusion. So again, my ideas, Tori, and my attitudes of being molded, being massaged, being manipulated by being able to interact with people of different communities, people of different age groups, people of different societal norms, and all of that work together to help augment 
my understanding of the community of which I grew up in called the United States of America. Thank you, Carl, for that wonderful answer. Um, and I'm sure a lot of us can relate to um, the, the cultural confusion and cultural appropriation in some form or fashion as well. So thank you for that. Um, you say in order for people to recover from distressful situations um, that they find themselves in, there's one simple choice that needs to happen. And that is between good thinking and bad thinking. Could you elaborate on what that means when you say good thinking and bad thinking? And then how does one go about determining if they're having good thoughts or changing their thoughts from, let's just say, not so good or bad to good or on the path of moving towards good thinking? Uh, excellent question. Excellent question. Because I don't want you to think that thinking is the solution. Uh, the problem is, is that word that we call logic. We live in a world that taught us about the little engine that could. Anybody knows an ant can't move a rubber tree plant, but he's got high hopes. And Carl, you can grow up to be president. I didn't breathe that till I saw uh, Barack Obama being uh, sworn in around the 20th of January. But the point I'm trying to make is logic makes us think that I can get knowledge, apply that knowledge and change my circumstance. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, we as human beings believe we can think our way into right action. And to answer pointedly, Tori, your question, I believe we have to learn how to act our way into right thinking. Our thinking is not going to change our circumstances, nor the outcomes. But if we learn how to act our way into modifying our thinking, well, how do you do that? Well, uh, there's five things that I believe we do. One of them is to pray, not a religious prayer. You can pray to Mother Nature. You can go down and overlook the lake from a high mountaintop and just pray to the creator of the universe and said, put the thought in your mind, uh, please help me uh, to be a better parent. Please help me to be a better student, a better human being. So I pray is one of the things I do. Then I have to, after that, feed myself with some positive information. Uh, meditation is a very popular thing around the world some more than others. But after prayer, I go straight to meditation and let my mind dwell on certain things. They say, uh, whatever is good, whatever is holy, whatever is of good repute, let your mind dwell on these things. So what I have to do is allow my mind to be interviewed or be uh, influenced by the thoughts of what I'm reading. Then I need to talk to somebody that is living a life that I admire. I don't need to talk to the Ku Klux Klan if I've got a race problem. I need to talk to either Martin Luther or Malcolm X. Either one of them can help me because all I'm trying to do is get a different perspective. And then I need to sit down face to face like I do with uh, Cherie and Regine uh, Najin and about to do with, with Tori 
uh, to sit down and uh, exchange of ideas and attitudes. And then at night, I also pray, but now it's a prayer of thanksgiving. Uh, but I start my day and end my day trying to infuse my mind with good subconscious interviewing. See, um, psychology will tell us that we, uh, from a zero to age seven, we're bombarded with our subconscious. And what happens is, what's the first word a baby knows, uh, learns? No. Uh, shortly after that is stop. Uh, shortly after that is don't. Uh, then comes you can't. So after seven years of negativity, which is the basis and foundation of my subconscious mind, I start taking in logic around age eight. And so at age eight is when I have to try to counterbalance the negative influences that have happened to me, the epigenics that has happened to me, the trickle down effect of the culture that I grew up in has, has happened to me. But through all of that, I get new ideas and new attitudes and my feelings change. The biggest thing I can't do that I have to avoid is resentment uh, because a lot of people, somebody talked about it, a lot of people wanna be judged by their intentions and they think that their intentions are good, not understanding that their intentions can be misconstrued misapplied. And if I want to, Malcolm X told me that white people were uh, dogs, I think he referred to it, you know, and uh, somebody else told me I need to love them. And what I got out of all of that is I need to do a little bit of both. I need to be selective in the attitudes and attitudes and attitudes and ideas that I apply to other people. And the biggest word I need to learn everybody here the most powerful word on the planet is maybe. As long as I stand at maybe, not extremely right nor extremely left, as long as I can just stand on maybe, maybe you right, maybe I'm wrong. As long as I can be at maybe, I stand in position to be able to learn something. I stand in a place where I can understand your point of view, even though I don't agree with you and I may not like you, you know, but there was a, a TV show in the United States called Dinosaurs. They had a baby dinosaur and the magic words of that baby dinosaur is gotta love me. And I don't care if you wear a mask. I don't care if you had a whip 200 years ago and beat the slaves. I don't care. There's still something about you that I've got to love, or if I don't, is something wrong with me. I've got to understand that all people I believe, which is why I said good thinking versus bad, all people have uh, goodness in their heart. Racism is not born out of evil. Racism is born out of pride, racial pride. Uh, I'm trying to preserve my people, preserve my nation. I'm trying to promote what is good. All people, I've never seen a religion, that's why I work with all religions, that doesn't have positive spiritual input. The negativity comes from 
the silos that we live in, which are always uh, promoting a misconception of cultural confusion. We don't talk to each other. You know, I teach a, a class and on my class, I had an 88 year old woman. Uh, we were asking for prayer and she prayed for the idiots in leadership in our country. She called them idiots. She's 85 years old. And she's a woman that self-professed believes in edification. If you can't say something good, don't say anything at all. But we've watched our politicians deteriorate. You know, there used to be 20 years ago, it was a bad thing to have a mudslinging campaign. Uh, but today's world, you know, there's exposés and all kinds of different things that people are doing to, to basically put their opponent in a bad light. And most people that vote anymore, I believe around the world, they don't vote for a candidate, they vote against a candidate. We tend to uh, think like people want us to think, and there's all kinds of factions. Man, I can go on my phone and find anything I look for. I did an event on sheltered minds, which discussed how uh, social uh, distancing and stay-at-home protocols uh, impaired our thinking. And what I had to understand was, and what I came to learn was, uh, people's thinking was negatively impaired. What if you were a single parent working on the front lines? What did you bring home to your children? What type of negativity was transferred to them? And so I had to come to an idea and an understanding that I have to investigate everything I put into my mind, uh, garbage in, garbage out. And I've got to also realize maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he has a good heart. He was just scarred by his great, great, great grandfather. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Carl, for, yeah, absolutely. You uh, just brought in the aspect of acting to change thoughts. Just to have a quick uh, reset now, and uh, this episode uh, five of the TCD Live Weekend Lounge Show, and I'm your host, Sri Kumar, with co-host Tori Davis and Nadine Riffith in conversation with Carl Berry on the topic, mental wellness, recovery, an active change of ideas and attitudes. Now, Carl, uh, it's been bothering me uh, <clears throat> when we talked about uh, meditation and then we also touched upon spirituality as a means for recovery. Uh, I, I, I want you to uh, elaborate a little bit because in this part of the world as well, and I do not know about, uh, you know, in the United States and other parts, but a lot of people confuse spirituality with religion and there is a stigma attached to anything that shouts religion and people do get a little wary and it's not just about spirituality even meditation practices when people talk about uh, meditation again uh, people are very wary in terms of what those practices are uh, actually trying to preach so when you talk about spirituality as a great means 
for enabling the recovery process. Can you just uh, help us understand how we can help people first understand the difference and then start the journey of recovery? You know, especially with regards to this very, very sticky subject on spirituality, because I've had uh, my own reservations sometimes when uh, we talk about spirituality, meditation, and so on. So can you just throw some light on that? Because you've been uh, an elder in the church, you've been uh, actually talking to people there as well. So how do you look at that? Well, first of all, what is the difference? Is there a difference between religion and spirituality? When you get people to think about that, it triggers critical thinking, which automatically helps to show to relieve the prejudices and come to understanding that spirituality is a composite of spiritual principles. Spiritual principles, to give you an example, there are 88 of them, but I'll give you three. Honesty is a spiritual principle. Open-mindedness, my maybe, is a spiritual principle. And willingness is a spiritual principle. Now, here's where the problem first comes in. The cultural confusion is active again because if, unless you have a dictionary, your understanding of words is probably impaired. Most people don't understand that if you look up willingness, the most common uh, synonym is uh, enthusiastically. A lot of times we think a willingness is something we do reluctantly, even though we don't want to, we'll go ahead and do it. I'm willing to go ahead and do it. No, willingness means I am enthusiastic about participating in the solution. Uh, two words I like to talk about is hope. A lot of people go to 7-Eleven or the neighborhood uh, store and they buy a lottery ticket and they come out and they say, I hope I win. Well, that's not hope, that's wishing. So a lot of times we get wishing and hoping confused. We get basic in definitions and interpretations confused. And so spirituality is something that very much needs to be investigated so that people can understand uh, that there are good spiritual principles. In the United States, I uh, have to admit, I had my own biases after 9-11 because of what happened. And so when I uh, first met Cherie, I said, I don't know if I like this guy or not. Well, I can tell you I love him now because I got out of my silo and into his and we started talking and he came over to my place and we talked some more and we started interacting, interchanging, intercommunication. And what I understand that there was more similarities in our spiritual belief system than there were differences. I find out that no matter what kind of label you put on your religious belief, uh, most people want their kids to have a better life than they did. Most people uh, believe in feeding the hungry, most people uh, believe in visiting, uh, visiting people that are in jail. 
In fact, jail is a, is a hot topic for me because jail, the, the largest provider of mental health in the world is prisons. They do more mental health and pay more mental health specialists than anywhere. And most prisons, many prisons are privatized. So what does that mean the prisoner is? Well, the prisoner is inventory. I gotta find somebody to put in jail so we can make money. You know, money is part of the problem we face on the planet. We all know they say money is the root, the love of money is the root of evil. But that's part of the problem. Uh, as an elder in the church, the first thing I had to worry about was many of the other elders did not want to ex uh, ostracize the older uh, white people in the congregation uh, because we needed to hold on to them. They, their contributions were substantial. And I, I talked to, uh, we have a multicultural congregation, so I talked to one of the ministers, and that minister says, Carl, I don't doubt they love me, but they treat me like a pet. They don't treat me like a cousin or a brother. They treat me like a pet. They'll give me something to eat, and they'll pet me on the head, and they'll tell me they love me, but uh, I don't get invited to the swimming parties. They don't take me hunting and fishing with them. They don't treat me like they treat each other. And they think they have good intentions because I go to church and I, I greet everybody, how you doing? And the response is fine. That stands for frustrated, insecure, neurological, uh, uh, narcissistic, and egotistical. You know, we're not fine. We've got some issues. We've got some problems. And sometimes you've got to speak out. I, early on, as an elder, was actually ridiculed and considered to be negative uh, because I, I shared a difference of opinion. Finally, we're at the point now where they understand that all I have is a different perspective. And I share my perspective because if I don't tell you the truth, you'll never know each other. Involvement, I believe, is the key to interaction between ideas and attitudes in our world culture. I've got to learn how to hang out with my Muslim brothers. I've got to learn how to hang out and understand my atheists. We've got to seek to understand rather than to be understood. Everybody wants everybody to understand why they think like they do. And the problem is, no, you need to understand why they think like they do. And not from a judgmental, because see, people judge, but they don't understand. It's not ours to judge, it's ours to communicate. It's ours to show love. You know, uh, Rudyard Kipling talked about being able to walk with kings and not losing our commonality, not losing common sense. There's a big difference between common sense and intellectualism. And, and what we've got to do is to break down these silos, these cultural barriers, so that we have the opportunity uh, to show love and respect for everyone, the opportunity to proceed with hope. And hope is defined when desire meets expectation. I want to have a good relationship with adversaries. I want to be able to get them to understand uh, 
what I don't understand about them. I need to seek to understand and uh, therefore let you know why I have a problem. You know, and uh, we've started hitting golf balls. Uh, we've started going fishing. We started doing things with each other, which are really contrary to our natural natural behavior. You know, I, I in a church where some of the people grew up in a town of 8,000 people, 5,000 people. And here I grew up in the inner city where if you didn't have a knife or a gun, you weren't a real man. And I had to learn how to explain to them and how to communicate them. It's no different than uh, Spanish and English. I had to learn how to speak their language. So I don't know, Sri, if that's a response that you wanted, but that's my take on religion. Yeah, thank you, Carl. You just uh, <clears throat> yeah, summed it up beautifully. But I do have some questions, but Tori uh, has uh, some to ask you as well. So, Tori? So I'm seeing in the chat, we're talking about basically the word judge and judgment. And I think that word uh, sometimes can get misconstrued and seen in a negative light of saying well, somebody's judging, which that's just drawing a conclusion. But the real issue, at least from my perspective, is that people are judging, drawing a conclusion um, before actually investigating or seeking understanding and so what that takes me to is the word culture so everywhere around the world we're trying to create a a culture of some sort so that's a work culture if it's in an organization that's a culture in your household that's a culture in a community so how do we go about framing culture if culture is actually the culprit of blinding us and um how do we frame a culture that actually is open so that we aren't blinded by the culture that's around us and the culture we're trying to create. So it's kind of, we want to create a culture. We want one that's quote, inviting and welcoming and warming. But then what does that mean if that culture also creates blindness to you know, other opportunities or networking with others that are out there? Excellent question, Mr. Davis. I. Uh first of all, I want to comment on the word judging, which is why I suggest you get a dictionary. Too often we take the word judging and apply the definition of interpreting. Uh, we're interpreting what we see based on judgment of what we think they're saying and what we think they feel. How often have you said, he thinks he's cute. She thinks she looks good, you know, and you don't know what they think. <laughs> so judging is a outgrowth of ideas and attitudes, the interpretation of ideas and attitudes. There's a very important word, and that word is acculturation. When I became an elder, I was told we don't want to be black white or brown, we just want to be Christian. But unfortunately, Christian meant to them, to that person, it meant a acculturation. I wanted to think like you think. I want to be the kind of Christian that 
you want to be. What I've learned in dealing with spiritual natures in organizations is that in order for an organization to solidify and be strong, everybody in the organization has to change. We cannot gravitate to any one culture, to any one thought process and be successful. Everybody does not like country and Western, nor does everybody like rap, nor does everybody like rock and roll. I was a professional musician and I still hate rock and you're not gonna get me to like it. I can try to appreciate it, but I have to even try. But I do not need to get acculturated to the other forms of music. I have developed what they call music appreciation. And to me, that's the same thing that you're talking about, Tori, when you talk about judging, I have to understand your culturization. I have to understand where you're coming from where you grew up, what principles are important to you, what are the danger zones in your mind, and what are the fears that you have of me. You know, I talked to a lady the other day, and she showed up at a swimming pool, and the lady next to her, when she sat down, got up, packed all her things up, and moved on the other side of the pool because she was extremely covered in tats. And finally, she went over to that lady and she said, look, lady, uh, these tattoos are most worth more than your house. Well, that was confrontive and probably not an uh, act of understanding. But we had to understand that the fact that she was tattooed caused a distrust, a misunderstanding, a misrepresentation of who she was and not an appreciation of the culture, which is hers. And so, you know, I don't have any tats, but I, I know some tattoo artists and I love them and they're really good. I look at some of their work and I go, wow, that's amazing. So for me, the word to uh, be aware of and to try to avoid is acculturation. I just wanna make sure that I am participating in a culture. Uh, I understand that culture and I don't judge that culture any farther than maybe. Maybe it's good, maybe it's not. So uh, thank you Carl once again for <clears throat> answering this question on culture, especially organizational culture. And uh, let me just have a quick uh, reset once again. Uh, this is uh, the uh, TCD Live Weekend Lounge Show, and I'm your host, Sri Kumar, with co-host Tori Davis and Nadine Rifith in conversation with Carl Berry on the topic mental wellness, recovery, and active change of ideas and attitudes. Let me just continue the uh, thought process, Carl, and uh, uh, you talked about culturation and uh, you know, my question is, it's all nice, you know, uh, to talk about it today, you know, where we have already been conditioned for so many years, in fact, uh, to the kind of culturation which has happened and uh, the kind of attitudes which we have built in. But where do you think we need to start addressing it? For example, do you think that uh, 
we need to get back to our community and much more basics in terms of, and that's where I bring it back to our early childhood, family, parenting, our schools, teachers, because, you know, uh, when Tori asked about the question on organizational culture, uh, what I have experienced in uh, the last 30 years of talking to these people, and we've discussed this earlier on other shows as well, that we are more or less ending up doing a repair job, you know, because people are already having those attitudes which they are carrying into organizations. So where do you think we need to start addressing it as uh, people who are working with the community much more uh, deeply? Where should it start? What about family? What about parents, schools? Yeah, and church and uh, other places of uh, congregation which happen. So your thoughts? I'm gonna start with fundamental recovery. And that for me begins with Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, history of Alcoholics Anonymous was 200 years prior to 1938 in the 1700s. There was an organization uh, that dealt with helping people overcome their problems. Uh, it was called the Oxford Movement. And Oxford Movement moved along real well until they wanted to require people to be of a religious belief system and acculturation before it would work. And it died. Then it grew to a group called the Washingtonians. And the Washingtonians, again, started helping people, but they fell out on the topic of slavery, the North versus the South. Once again, the help for all people died. Then we get to 1938 and AA, and they started with the 12 steps. And there's a guy, uh, his name was Herbert Spencer. Herbert coined the answer tree to your question. There is a principle, which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. And so to me, I don't care if it's schools, if it's uh, politics, if it's church, if it's uh, parenting, what, I don't care whatever your issue is. I don't care uh, what your tentative judgment is. We're going to have some in advance, but you need to investigate your belief system. See, the thing is, Carl does not like to police Carl. There was a comedian in the United States years ago named Flip Wilson. Flip had a saying, the devil made me do it. Well, I'm here to tell you the devil's name is Carl. What I've got to do is investigate my belief system, my thought processes about you before I finalize that what I think is true and real, I need to find out that, Carl, you're being kind of prejudiced here. You're being a little biased.
Carl, you're not giving this guy credit for the reason he don't like you is because he likes his family. The reason he don't like you is he thinks you're going to take the jobs away from his son. You know, people have issues. And the only reason we don't understand is that we don't communicate. And we don't communicate because of contempt before we investigate what the problem is. So a lot of times I really believe the solution is for us to verify what we think is going on. Sometimes it'll be true, but it's just kind of like worry. Have you ever noticed that the things that you worry about, the anxieties that you have, uh, most of the time never happen? Sometimes I'm suspect, suspect, and I think somebody is uh, trying to do something to me. And, you know, I'll actually survey people around me. Did such and such call you? I think this is what he's trying to do. And it really is just suspicion, contempt prior to investigation. So for me, the first thing I've got to do is, and uh, frankly, Tori talked about it, I got to stop judging. I got to understand there's a difference between judging and interpretation. And when I do judge and or interpret, the best thing I need to do is to investigate. Find out if what I'm thinking is real. And to be honest with you, uh, for me, it was like a lot simpler. There's an old saying in the ghetto. Uh, I'm showing my age now. But, you know, there was a thing in the ghetto they used to call the nut roll. You had to learn how to play the nut roll. What that means is you play crazy. You play like you don't understand. You play like you can't see what they're thinking about you. And as long as people under, I like being underestimated. As long as people underestimate my capabilities, I have the upper hand. And so for me, all I want to do is see who you really are uh, and not let you know or uh, let you in on the fact that I might think uh, yay or nay about anything you say or do. Thank you, Carl, for uh, <clears throat> the elaborate answer. I still want to get your attention towards and because of the tremendous amount of work which you do with the community and the Community Care Resource Council. Uh, what I, we have found more often is that a lot of the work which happens, whether it is in the church or whether it is in schools, while we can actually push back and blame the schools or the teachers or the community leaders, these kids you know, what I have found is after their, you know, the great sessions with the learned people in all these uh, places where we congregate, they get back to homes which do not align or support the change process. So, uh, you know, like if you have an abusive, uh, you know, parent and uh, a narcissist uh, kind of uh, culture, you know, people who are that at home. And I go and learn about, uh, you know, accepting people, understanding people and so on and so forth. As a small child, when I get back to those uh, environments, 
it really disturbs me and that adds to the trauma so what what is your experience when you have been doing a lot of these community outreach programs how do we address and what in your experience is an approach which can actually uh, continue the good work which people are doing with these young minds because we're talking about uh, the change in attitudes but again i drive home the point about families and the kind of impact so what's been your experience what kind of challenges have you faced you know with regards well, to that? thank you that's a great question i i love the opportunity to to answer that question because it forces me to talk about community care resource council first of all let's return to the basic recoveries and active change and ideas and attitudes. Gotta start there. What we do at Community Care Resource Council is we do events, first of all, that promote awareness. I do a disclaimer, I'm not, I, I work very intensively with the government, frankly, uh, but that's with the understanding, I am not going to support your point of view. I am doing an event on COVID. It's called Facts, Fiction, and Future. And everybody thinks they got the facts. But there are doctors that say you can treat it. There are others that say you need the vaccine. There are others that say you don't need a vaccine nor a mask. And then there's another person that said that you needed to just drink plenty of maple syrup and it would cure COVID. And then a preacher said all you had to do was pray right. I'm not going to support any of those, but I am going to promote all of that because of awareness. Why am I doing that? Because once I finish the events, I take the people that were most impactive to the listeners, and then I put them on a weekly radio and TV show podcast that we do. So I continue to recirculate and move around with the people that have the information. But here's the magic word, Cherie. There's a psychological process called motivational interviewing. I, every opportunity, I've got the whole city of Dallas doing this right now uh, because there's people in Dallas that think you don't get the vaccination because it's going to sterilize you. You can't tell people, no, that's not going to happen. You can't tell people that if you don't get the shot, you're going to be like this guy that didn't get it and now he's dead. You know, all of that stuff is okay, but that's not what works. Motivational interviewing works because motivational interviewing gets the person listening to perform their own critical thinking. How do you do that? Well, it's real simple. Motivational interviewing says, I ask you a question. You respond. I repeat your response, which says, hey, he's listening to me. I even interpret the response and says, hey, he understands. I ask some more questions. And as long as they can see that I'm listening and understanding, trust is automatically building. And then I pop the question. And it's always a question of, what they call in sales, a choice close. Would 
Tuesday at 5 o'clock or Thursday at 10 a.m. work best for you. If you think that taking the vaccination is going to sterilize you and you had to pick between sterilization and death, which would you choose? And that's all you got to really do. You don't tell people what to think. You invite people how to think and let them walk away with whatever they are walking away with. The key is, though, is that everybody on the call knows that somebody thinks maple syrup can cure COVID. Somebody else thinks that praying can protect you from COVID. A lot of people think in some church circles, I work a program called SAFE, stands for Spirituality and Faith Empowers. There are a lot of people that tell people with mental health problems that they're being demon-possessed. And I don't want to disagree with them. I want to share with everybody all of the different perspectives because uh, kind of people kind of know what sounds true. Uh, and they really trust more somebody that shares everybody's perspective, which is what CCRC does, than they do somebody that tries to narrow and interpret an outcome. So for me, it's about awareness. I do awareness with faith, with government leaders, and with all healthcare, especially behavioral health people. We've got counselors, we've got uh, uh, people that feed people, we've got food people, we've got some people, I'm doing an event in March, it's going to be about uh, recidivism, about returning citizens. You know, there are two big problems with returning citizens. Some people think it's jobs, but it's before that. Returning citizens have a problem getting a place to live. Most places don't want to give somebody with a felon, a felony on their record, a place to live. Well, what good's a job going to do if you're living in the, under a tent somewhere? So you got to give them a, a, a place to live and you got to give them a job. But we've got people that have, uh, one lady's got 15 workbooks that help uh, families deal with the codependency issues of a returning citizens. We've got another guy that gives them jobs. They start off in the penitentiary with a coding job. The penitentiary gets a small per per percentage and then the guy gets paid. So when he gets out, he takes $10,000, $15,000 with him. Sometimes getting a, an apartment is a lot easier if you got $10,000 to put down. If you got a substantial amount of money uh, that says, I'm not just a bad person, I've made a bad mistake. A lot of times people don't have a moral issue, they have a mental issue. How many people are in prison because they did something stupid? How many people uh, are caught up in drug addiction because they did something uh, that wasn't smart? They took poison for recreation. You know, there's a lot of different stuff that goes on. So for me, the motivational interviewing, uh, the not being uh, leaning to any perspective, but to try to just promote activity and belief systems. And what I do is I try to find people like uh, Najin and Tori and Cherie and, and, and uh, Sister King and Sister Gayla. I try to find people like Vickas. I try to find people that are concerned, people that care, people that are community-minded. Community care is the mantra. The resource 
providers, the resource uh, volunteers. These are the people that I want to deal with. I don't care that I'm dealing with a, a government because even in the government, it's not the government that I need to deal with. I've got to deal with the man in the government. I've got a guy right now that's a captain. I used to deal with his employees. Now I'm dealing with Captain Masudi. Captain Masudi says, I think you can change the belief system of the population. They're trying to get people to buy into harm reduction. Harm reduction simply means they're going to let people that are intravenous drug users go to a given house, trade in their needles for clean needles, give them a medical examination and a WIC card and let them shoot up and go where they're going. And it passed the state, but not the Senate. And he says, hey, can you help me get this passed? The next vote's going to be in two years. And that comes from making people aware and letting them choose for themselves the path that they want to take. Ultimately, I believe it's going to work out like it's supposed to. Thank you, Carl. In fact, uh, I think uh, you made a very important point. It's a choice one needs to make, and that's going to be critical in the recovery process. So a quick reset once again. This is episode five of the TCD Live Weekend Lounge Show. And I'm your host, Sri Kumar, with co-host Tori Davis and Nagin Griffith in conversation with Carl Berry on the topic mental wellness, recovery, an active change of ideas and attitudes. Now, uh, I had a question, uh, Carl, again, in terms of, uh, we touched upon it briefly, uh, and I did do a poll about uh, the possibility of recovery. In fact, uh, is it possible for people to completely recover from trauma and depression, complete recovery. And uh, I had a different view, but you know, 67% of the people did say yes. And that's a huge number. I was actually uh, surprised at it. Um, but is it even possible? Because you are one who has the a lived experience on uh, this topic, you know, about recovery. So what's your take on that? Well, my take on that is real simple. In recovery, one of the things they talk about is just for today. Just for today is an acronym that means now. Now is all we have. If you don't believe me, take a breath and save it till tomorrow. You know, so what we deal with is it's possible to recover completely from trauma on Saturday, the 23rd of October. But tomorrow, I start off with the same problem all over again. Because remember, the problem is not you. The problem is not your organization. The problem is my understanding, my limited thinking. So... Uh, it's possible to completely understand in the now. If I'm programming myself with the five things, the prayer, the meditation, the talking to somebody that I respect, uh, the going to, into organizations and meetings and attending webinars and doing all of that stuff, and then at night I pray, and all I've done is plant seeds. See, they talk about in recovery uh, the two dogs. You got two dogs. 
and one of them is the good dog and the other one is the bad dog. Which one wins the fight? Well, guess what? It's the one you feed. If you're feeding the bad dog, you're going to always be saying, something told me not to do that. But if you're feeding the good dog, you're going to stop making as many mistakes. So it's possible today to recover completely from trauma, but completely from all days forward, no. I don't believe that. I believe that uh, recovery, the active change in ideas and attitude is consistent and constant change. Nothing changes like the changes. That's a wonderful example. Uh, thank you, Carl, in terms of the good dog and the bad dog. And then again, uh, brings me to this uh, funny little situation because, you know, which kennel am I going into? You know, because if I'm getting into a kennel which is filled with a whole lot of bad dogs uh, who have been well fed and, you know, and I'm in the path of recovery, I do not know. So I, I'm again, uh, getting back to that uh, very core question in terms of what has been your experience? Have families contributed, parenting, has that contributed to the uh, recovery process? How important it is for the community and the, uh, the immediate family to support the recovery process? Because, you know, there are a lot of bad dogs and those are the kennels which I'm uh, visiting all along. So, you know, your thoughts on that? Well, I hate to come across as who I am, but I would not be, I would be a liar if I didn't stand up for who I am and who I believe I am. I believe that one good dog, just like one bad apple can start can poison the barrel, one good dog can change the entire kennel. I believe that. I believe CCRC, our mission is to make a difference in the world, not just in Dallas, Texas, not just in Texas, not just in the United States. In fact, our organization is called USCCRC. Some people think it stands for United States, but it doesn't. It stands for us. Us, Community Care Resource Council, if we the people come together and try to make a change and plant our footprint on solid spiritual principles, the world will change. Our kids will follow. Our families will change. And I can tell you that I went from being the guy that showed up at Thanksgiving and all the ladies and the grandmothers and the aunties would all grab their purses, stick their arms through them and hug them because I showed up at Thanksgiving dinner. Now I'm the guy that everybody's given the key to their house. I'm the guy that's the executor, executive of most people's states. People really trust somebody that has evidence in the way they walk of success more than they do somebody that has a bad history. We all got a bad history. We all know there's some things that we did if they had it on film, we'd be embarrassed. But when they can see that you have changed, you have actually achieved an attitude and 
idea adjustment and your feet move in a way. My grandmother taught me when you pray, move your feet. And when your feet move in a way that shows who you are, you know, I can't believe a word you say because what you do uh, speaks too loudly. And so I've got to understand that the way I live my life, the way I execute my choices, the way I treat you, people, all they ever wanted to do was feel good about themselves. And so it doesn't make a difference who you are. It doesn't make a difference even more so who you were. What makes a difference is who that you come across as today. And guess what? That's going to change tomorrow. So if you make some good steps today and you're dancing to the music and it looks good, that's only going to be, like I said earlier, for today, just for the now. No other way can you change people's lives except for just for today. Thank you, Carl, for uh, this wonderful answer. In fact, living in this moment, uh, which is called the present, and it's, it's a gift, obviously, and that's why it's called the present. And I think uh, you brought in a great perspective. Tori had something to ask you. So in, in your story, you shared about your struggles and the things you've gone through as a, as a child. And there are resources for uh, people to reach out and get help. However, there's a stigma associated with it. So on one hand, we're saying, hey, if you need help as a community and people, at least this is my experience that I've seen, uh, go get the help you need. And then when they go get the help that they need, then they're associated, like you said, mental health and not having that area of your life together is associated with crazy. Now they're deemed crazy. Uh, so how do we help society balance and, and appreciate and respect those who are going to seek and get help for their thinking? You know, that's really what that boils down to is the decisions that they're making start up here in the mind. And yes, there's root causes of it, but it starts with the mind. How do we help society understand and appreciate those who are actually going to get help and not stigmatize them um, for getting help? And you have some who seek help and then they end up in the penitentiary. Well, what was the point of going to get the help if that's where you were going to go end up? Um, so how, how do we uh, combat that? Well, in at risk of being overly simplistic. I believe all things work together and the outcome is always good. So what I believe is, is that, and I've had people tell me this, uh, I, I tried to do everything to change my life and then I got put in jail. I have a, such of a friend that actually was jailed for seven years for a violation of SEC rules a violation that he didn't even know he was violating the law. But he still went to penitentiary for seven years, lost the ability to do a lot of things he had been qualified for. And he could have uh, had been bitter because of that. But his attitude was, there was a reason I went to jail. And I could lick my wounds or I could try to help other people. He's the world's foremost authority for returning citizens on financial literacy now at this point. 
And so the thing is, is that the, first of all, I've got to deal with my belief system. I've got to know my intentions. I've got to know uh, what I did. If I did what was wrong intentionally is a big difference than if I did what was wrong and got busted for it. And so I believe that we have to uh, do our best to help other people. Uh, there's one thing that is always been said in recovery. There's one thing that you can do to help anybody, and that is to get out of your own problems and put yourself in somebody else's shoes. If you want to overcome uh, the dejected state that you live in, the easiest way to do it is find somebody else that can help. Because, Tori, there's always somebody that got it worse than me. And I, I, uh, I mean, I was a guy that used to break in my own house, tiptoe in my house, looking over my shoulders, afraid that I was going to catch me stealing my stuff. And, you know, that's paranoia. But what I learned was that after a while, people started trusting me before I started trusting myself. And so I believe that there is a, a, a sense of karma in the world, a sense of rightness, a sense of doing the right thing. And I believe that if we just commit to doing our part, then it can work out. It ain't easy, uh, but it is simple. People think simplicity and easy are the same things. No, it, it, it ain't easy, but it's simple. Some simply, to me, that's why I say it's about thinking, good thinking and bad thinking. And what I do is, is I exercise good thinking and I move my feet down the path of my good thoughts. And that's going to change somebody. The key is, is that I'm not trying to change everybody. As a church elder, I don't try to baptize everybody. You know, somebody uh, taught, somebody planted, somebody else watered. I don't try to change everybody. All I try to do is do whatever I think it is, is it my part to do, and then leave the rest up to uh, happenstance, circumstance leave it up to the outcomes that are going to happen. Uh, a lot of times uh, I say things to people that they don't believe, they don't like me, they don't like what I say, but then 10 years later, Cherie comes along and he says the same thing and all of a sudden they adopt it because that's the changes that has taken place in people's lives. So I think that it's all about walking my walk, talking my talk, and trusting in whatever it is that I believe in. Uh, and I think it, it works. And I don't believe uh, that it's, you know, going to work out perfectly. You know, I might, get, I might lose a limb, but I don't believe I'm going to be killed. Right. You know, so I believe it works. Go ahead, Sharif. Wonderful. Uh, thanks, Carla, once again for talking about the work which you've been doing, and I think it's been great, and uh, I see a lot of uh, 
vision and passion which you bring into the community care and on the uh, aspect of recovery, especially Community Care Resource Council, I know is intensely focused on uh, mental health and that's the key here. Uh, as is our convention with the uh, KCD Live Weekend Lounge, uh, I would like to actually um, you know, welcome the, uh, our wonderful guests, attendees, who have made it a point to come out in support of the show and the topics which we are bringing in. So the uh, stage is open for anyone who would like to come in, share their perspective, ask a few questions of Carl, and uh, um, you know we can have the dialogue because it is about having the critical dialogue around topics which we often uh, don't bring on the table and in the open. So. I would like to open the floor to all my wonderful friends who have been uh, patient and Rodolfo uh, has been there. In fact, I saw him uh, checking in much, much earlier. Um, so if you could uh, actually come in and uh, you know give your perspectives on the topic and some questions to Carl, and then we will open it to everyone else. So over to you, Rodolfo, if you're still there. Oh, you're uh, not able to hear you. He muted. Okay. Can you can you yeah. see me? Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's a, I'm very happy and honored to be here. You all have big pleasure to meet you, and. Uh, uh, all the topics are very interesting to me, and um, I, I, I want to, to uh, introduce uh, uh, something I would like to, to, to add to the, um, to the whole discussion uh, about the, the importance of visualization. What do you think about it in particular, Carl? To vi visualize what do you, you want to achieve, no? It's also, it's also something related to meditation somehow, yeah? I, 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 I practice meditation and uh, I, I like at the end of my, my daily meditation practice to, to visualize what I, what I want to achieve, what I want to see for myself and for the world itself in the future. What do you think about it? Do you find it uh, useful? Is a complexion for meditation itself? Uh, I find it quite beneficial. Yeah. I, yeah. I thank you uh, for bringing it up. Uh, My pleasure. Many coaches talk about visualization boards. Mm -hmm. uh, remember, whatever the mind believes, the body can carry out. And we're talking about and have talked about active change and ideas and attitudes. So once you allow your vision to be admittedly and be honest principally with that vision, be honest about what you see, what you believe. That's why I took the risk of telling you guys, I believe 
that we together, uh, the nine people that are on this call right now have the potential to change the world. If we lock step and do our part and believe it can happen, uh, there's a story about the uh, crabs on the beach, you know, and the guy says, you can't save all these crabs. And he picks up one and he throws it in. But yeah, I'd save that. That's what we've got to do. That's the visualization that I think you're talking about. I might be wrong, but what I believe is, is that see it, believe it, do it. We've got to take a step in the direction that in our heart of hearts, we believe is right. And it has nothing to do with government, religion, sex, age, sexual identity, none of that. I believe that there's a place for all of us because in the end, we are all uh, humans. We're all members of the same race. That's the point that is so basic, yet I think people don't have that visualization in their heart. Oh, he's Indian and she's black and he's short and you know, it doesn't make a difference. You know, it's about all of us, the short ones, the tall ones, the skinny ones. You know, one of the most important things, and I'll say this so somebody else can ask him, was a guy that his name was Lynn. And I had a problem with prostitution. I need to tell you the truth. I was frequenting prostitutions. I was spending $200 a week on sex. And I was going by this place on the way to work. And this guy had an IQ of 58. He was bona fide imbecile. And I was crying because I couldn't stop spending this $200 a week. And his vision was my solution. He said, Carl, if you have a problem going by that place on the way to work, maybe you should find another way to work. That was my answer. I thought I was smarter than him, but he could see the solution when I was caught up that all I had to do was go a different direction. Don't take myself in that neighborhood. So thank you for bringing that up. I probably uh, was uh, not uh, as good as I should have been uh, because that needed to be brought up. And I thank you for doing that. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Carl, for uh, your courage and being vulnerable here. And thank you, Rodolfo, for uh, joining the show and uh, asking the question, you know, uh, we're so delighted that you were there all the while. And I expect that you are around uh, till the end of the show and uh, bring in more perspectives. Let me uh, throw that to uh, Jade as well. Uh, been there throughout the uh, show right from the beginning. So would you like to come in and uh, bring in your perspective and uh, you know, probably ask a question to Carl as well, Jane. You're there. All right. So, uh, may I ask, uh, yeah, Angela, good to see you once again and uh, always a pleasure. You know, I was just waiting. When will you log in? Because I didn't see your name pop up. So you are a familiar uh, guest on the show. So I would like, yeah, please go ahead, take the stage 
all yours. Oh, thank you very much. I'm, I'm so glad I, I was able to pop in and just on time to get so, um, so much insights from this conversation. I love it. I actually feel, I mean, I feel it resonates a lot with what I do as a um, transformational coach. I actually, um, one of the biggest um, foundations of my um, approach is positive psychology. It's coming from the positive psychology side. So this is um, something that I really appreciate is um, providing a lot of um, you know, um, tools and help for my clients. And one of the questions that I was just um, asking um, Mr. Carl uh, Dallas, I thank you very much for your insights. I think they are contributing to whatever we do to help people. And I um, really, I'm so sorry that it was late, but definitely I will uh, watch the replay and I will get all this because I believe it's, it's very important. So my question was, um, and I posted on the chat, um, if people try to train their minds on good thinking, would they end up masking their reality and failing to create awareness, acceptance, and then miss the opportunity to let go of their bad thinking? And I definitely believe that, and I agree, Terry, that um, actually good thinking is not uh, 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 something that will hurt uh, people. It's the other way around, of course. But um, my um, focus or my get out of the um, conversation is that many clients um, have their bad thinking because of the reality they have, they're living. And this is where they're, um, I mean, not necessarily applied for everyone, but mostly is coming from there and then trying just to um, shift from that bad thinking into a good thinking, like for example, self-affirmations. I believe, and I have a, a, a one of my blogs is about self-affirmation and how they may not work for you is that those may act in a counter um, position to, I mean, uh, they will just contract to, uh, against your awareness of, of the reality. And just, you will miss the opportunity to accept that this is happening and be aware of it, um, become an observer of what uh, you are going through. And then, after embracing and accepting your reality, be able to let it go. And definitely, I think there is a process that has to go, um, is involved in this, um, you know, um, probably shifting into the good um, thinking. I mean, our minds are constantly producing thoughts. That's exactly what it does. And there is no way we can get right of that. And then in that practice, we may um, just uh, sometimes induce the, the client to start thinking good with self-affirmation and just forgetting about what is the reality they are, um, you know, living. And that's probably what I wanted to um, um, share. And that, that's my question. And thank you very much um, for letting me in. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Angela. That's that's the question which was running in my mind as well, is because uh, sometimes we get so caught up in, uh, you know, giving those affirmations and uh, powerful uh, statements. And, you know, we have these morning messages and we say that, hey, this is what uh, you need to think. And uh, yeah, so somewhere it ends up sometimes. And the, the, the threat is that it can 
end up masking uh, the reality. Sometimes uh, it stops us from confronting the issues and not really uh, able to come out of it in the real sense, because it can pop up again when you, you know, one day it's like, you know, your morning coffee. And if you're used to it and one day you don't have it and the coffee has run out or you don't have the milk or the sugar or something like that, you go crazy again. So, so yeah, so that's, that's a good one. So Carl and you've been, uh, you know, so when you say that uh, you 25 years is what you did abuse uh, substance, but then uh, 26 years you were in the recovery. So how are you able to work on that? Because did you face the same issues which Angela is raising? And uh, what would you like to say there? Two words, first of all. Thank you, Angela, for your question. Uh, acceptance and surrender are two words, first of all. Uh, there are some places I don't go in my recovery. There's an old saying that says, fake it till you make it. That's a mask. I don't believe in wearing masks. I don't believe in faking it. Uh, I, I do believe in acting my way into right thinking, uh, but acceptance doesn't mean that I agree. I'm going back to maybe now. Uh, they say your breath smells, Carl. Well, maybe you're right. Maybe you're wrong. I used Listerine this morning. I'm going to go ahead and get me some dentine and take some Clorets. And maybe my breath does smell, but I'm not dwelling on it. I'm going to do what I can to correct it. And if that doesn't change your perspective, that's not my problem. It's yours. And that may sound a little bit crass, but I don't believe that I need to fake it till I make it. I believe, and you talked about it, I just need to let go. I need to let go of what people are thinking or saying about me. I need to accept it that that's their belief system and believe that Eventually, if they watch my feet, they're going to come to a different belief. So I believe in courage. Courage is not the absence of action. I believe courage is the act, taking action in the face of fear. I need to, I, I use the analogy of San Juan Hill. Uh, they charged the hill not because they were brave. They charged the hill because they were at the bottom. If they stayed at the bottom, they were going to be, get whipped. They were going to get killed. So they had to charge the hill. And that's what I have to do. I have to surrender. I have to give up and say, okay, I don't believe it. I don't think it's right, but I'm going to not fight this. I'm just going to do my part, take my breath mints, chew a little gum, and uh, hope that you're no longer offended by my breath. Uh, but if you are, I'm going to love you anyway. And I think that's the key for us. We just got to let go and not hold on to our predisposed biases, uh, whether it's yours or mine, and go forward in faith and spiritual uh, maturity to try to make a change. I don't Thank know you. if that makes sense or not, but that's my belief system. All right. 
Well, thank you very much. I appreciate um, your um, response. I think uh, there's a lot to talk about um, these, um, you know, skills for people, especially in, um, you know, transforming their mindset. Usually we are more focused on, yes, definitely on what other people think about us. And then that's what is impacting the way we think about ourselves. And there is where probably the situation is uh, taking another shift, you know, like it's not what I believe uh, about what someone else is thinking about me, but it's about what I am thinking about myself and how I am, um, this um, way of thinking is affecting my actions, is affecting the way I relate to uh, the environment and to the, in, you know, the, the with myself, even with Michael, and the way I may just uh, break that um, fantastic capacity that my body has um, been equipped with, and that is uh, self-healing. I really um, appreciate this opportunity. Thank you very much, Dr. Um, Carl, Carl. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, uh, Angela. Always a pleasure to have you and uh, your insights. Yes, it's 90 minutes is not just enough. It's, you know, when a person says that it took 26 years in the process of recovery and trying to cover that in 90 minutes is just not doing justice to the whole topic, but we've made a beginning. But then uh, let me also uh, bring in uh, Noni uh, Dos Santos, um, being very patient uh, with uh, us on the launch. And uh, if you have a perspective to share, you're welcome to do so and ask a question. Thank you so okay. much. Okay, <laughs> thank you very much. First of all, thank you very, very much for this opportunity to participate in this interesting event. Thank you. Uh, I have a question for Carl um, because uh, we are seeing this uh, trending question uh, as a trending debate right now uh, all over the world, I would say, about social media's intrusive impact uh, of your of your uh, lives, um, your your feelings, your mental health, um, and um, just connecting to the thought of uh, of Angela of uh, uh, working on rituals of letting go. How how do you manage social media's intrusive impact impacts? That's the question. Thank you. Oh. Social media, thank you, Noni, is a marvelous opportunity. And what I'm saying is, is I can talk about the effect social media is having, or I can be effective in utilizing social media. How about, since I'm an elder in the church, I post scripture on Twitter show pictures of me praying on Instagram, talk about and show testimonials from people that are benefiting from the work CCRC does. Uh, I don't try to keep up or counteract what anybody else is doing on social media. I just try to figure out how spiritually I can use social media to assist in my quest to make a difference on the planet. Uh, 
And the nice thing about social media, you know, I used to be a radio, I used to buy radio, TV, billboard, and print media for the telephone company. Social media is free still right now. You know, yeah, they want me to boost my post or do some other stuff, which I really don't do. I just take all the freebies and get on there and show what I want to show that I think can make an impact that I think can be an influencer to change. They talk about being an influencer. I try to be an influencer for change, not masking as Angela talked about, but to try to just accept what it is, surrender to what people think, but share what I believe, which may be different. I have to be bold enough to stand up and be who I am, uh, but I think social media is an advantage, a deal breaker, if used in the positive manner. Thank you, Carl. Actually, you brought in a very important point um, on the show because we are at the critical dialogue. We are uh, working with something called digital intelligence. And uh, that's being done at schools, in colleges, and in organizations as well. So there's a kind of a digital intelligence programs which we are doing because social media is powerful. But uh, we've been talking about IQs, EQs, creative questions and so on and so forth. But now is the time to even talk about how is your DI, the digital intelligence. But thank you very much for bringing the perspective and a quick reset here. We are in the fifth episode of the TCD Live Weekend Lounge uh, with uh, me, Sri Kumar, and co-host Tori Davis and Nadine Rifford in conversation with Carl Berry. Now, I would like to uh, bring in uh, yeah, Subri. Subri has been there with us. Thank you so much for uh, coming in. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. And uh, yeah, would love to hear your perspective. And if you have any question for Carl. I'm sorry, before we um, leave, I, I just wanted to make sure that um, my um, interpretation of the um, uh, of the question that I asked was not necessarily uh, referring to uh, surrounded. It's, it's completely, um, I mean, not accepting doesn't mean that I agree with whatever people, as you mentioned before. Um, I'm probably um, talking about letting go uh, related specifically to the impact that the way I'm thinking or the negative thoughts having my own perspective about myself, not necessarily about the perspective uh, about what people believe or what people think about myself. So it's, it's just, um, it's, it's a bit complicated um, to disentangle both things, but they are definitely um, two completely different perspectives that I was uh, trying to um, um, get clarity on these um, think before I, I was just trying to make sure that it's not no it's not surrounded is I'm talking about letting go um with respect to the thoughts um about myself you know it's kind of different I'm working with women uh, in midlife you know transitioning to menopause so this is a very complicated stage of life <laughs> yes um so <laughs> Yeah, in fact, uh, I, I must say that uh, when you're at the receiving end as well, so even I understand that and I can relate to that. So yeah, it is complicated and it's not easy. So thank you, Angela, for bringing in the perspective. Subri, are you still there? And 
we would like to uh, get your perspective and uh, you know, probably um, look at, you know, the show has uh, gone on uh, 20 minutes past as always, but yes, agree. So the stage is yours for your perspective and a question if you have for Carl. I just want to, um, sorry, I'm <laughs> on the go. Oh, okay. um, I just want to, um, Thank you all for having me today. Um, I like hearing everyone's perspective. I don't really have any questions or anything, but I just want to thank you. All right. So thank you so much for being there and uh, um, listening in and coming on the show. I uh, really appreciate that you came out in support of this topic. And I know that you have a lot to offer and we will look forward to continuing this critical dialogue as we go along. So thanks so much for Sabri uh, for being there. And we are not closed yet, but you can continue to drive, drive safe. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, so uh, uh, Nagin, in fact, uh, when we talk about recovery, I think uh, we talked about it a bit in the last one as well when we spoke about it. And you have uh, been through a different type, of course, but that's a very painful one at that when we talked about it last time but i think you can uh, probably bring in the perspective in terms of recovery and how is it possible what are those key things which people need to focus on when we talk about the journey uh, of you know yeah the trauma the depression and the kind of things which go on in the mind and what do people need to focus on Thank you, Shiri. And uh, Carl, I just loved the conversation. There were so many points that I just loved it. And I kept writing in the chat that you have nailed it. I loved your conversation. So thank you for coming to the show and sharing your insights. It was beautiful altogether. Let me put it first. Now, coming to uh, the recovery piece, um, I think I would like to address uh, a, some part of what Angela's question was, um, that we get so much carried away with uh, the thought that what people think about us uh, while we are struggling to recover from a trauma or from uh, our personal issues or personal problems, that we kind of sidetrack and, um, so in my journey or in the journey of women that I work with coming from domestic violence background or human trafficking, I always tell them, and this is what I have experienced and I share my experience with them, that it is very, very important for us to accept our failures, our wrong decisions, and then move forward. So it's like an inside job. It's not about what people think of, about our decisions, but what we think about the decisions that we had taken in life, about um, staying in denial or uh, kind of uh, encouraging the you know, other person to disrespect us. So there are moments where we are supposed to take uh, accountability of our actions, our thoughts, and um, look into ourselves in a different perspective. Uh, in my case, when I accepted the failure that I can no longer um, continue this fight or this struggle to take custody of my kids because I don't have the, ca the capacity or the 
um, resources to fight against a system. So that was, it was regardless of what people were thinking about me. It was like, I knew that people would label me as somebody as, uh, uh, you know, who's going against the religion or somebody who is uh, selfish about herself and her kids and not thinking about what society, what impact it would get on society or culture or religion. But um, so initially I was stuck in that uh, conversation with myself and I was like paying more attention about how people would react when I would do ABC. So my uh, entire uh, perspective was different and I couldn't come to a solution. I was getting more anxious. I was getting more depressed because I was thinking about the world, how world would think about me and not paying attention on what my intention, my intentions, my thoughts and my actions would do for me. So when I took that decision, when I accepted, acceptance is the key as Carl said, that acceptance is the key. So when I accepted my failure that no matter what I do, I will never be able to win this system. I will never be able to win uh, the society or get a positive support from them. And now I have to do things that are best for me and my kids. So accepting my failure and accepting that I was wrong throughout the process for more than eight months, that was the turning point. And I tell the same thing to all the women I work with, that when you are stepping in, when you have decided that you want to recover, when you know that there is something in you that needs to come out and share your light with the world, that's when you have to accept your failures, your thoughts, wrong, bad, right, everything in its real form, in its naked form and then take decisions from there. And that's your path to recovery. You cannot recover with a mask that is helpful for the world to see. You, you, you don't have to look beautiful to the world. You have to be like, you have to come out very crude, naked, raw in your personality to bring out the best and beautiful in you. That's what my perspective is. Thank you, thank Nadine. You, thank you. Thank you for clarifying and thank you for bringing in that perspective, Nadine. And uh, Jade, are yeah, you beautiful. still there? I've been actually uh, giving a shout yeah, out for you. I'm sorry. I was just so uh, touched by your experience. It's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. Yes. Thanks, Angela, for. Uh, the kind words and yeah absolutely with Nadine you got to expect that uh, she will be courageous enough to be vulnerable on the show and it's been really great and wonderful to have a partner this show and partner with me on several initiatives on uh, the TCD and her own dreams for the world and for uh, women has been very powerful and inspiring. Uh, thanks, Nadine, once again for coming in. Yeah, uh, Jade, are you still there? I'm still asking uh, so that you know I do not want uh, anyone to go away from the lounge without you know getting a chance on the table and be on stage. 
So I think, uh, yeah, not able to get through there, Rodolfo. So you have uh, more to ask, um, uh, closing comments. And before I hand it over to Carl and then I take it over from there. Well, I simply want to, to thank you all. Thank you all the wonderful people I have the occasion to meet today. Uh, very great food for foods from uh, Carl and from everyone here. So my, my my last comment is simple, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yeah, very <laughs> well said. Yeah, absolutely. We need to be, uh, yeah, the thank you is a very powerful word and we thank uh, every moment of our life, you know? So I, I say yes. thank you, every thank breath you. we take in and uh, that's and, a thank uh, you. Yes, I, I, I hope that there will be uh, one more chance to meet you everyone. Absolutely. Yeah. We look forward, Rodolfo. And uh, yeah, why not? Why not? And uh, please let us know in terms of any specific topics which you would like us to bring on the table. And uh, we would love to have the dialogue here. So yes. this lounge and is for uh, dialogue and uh, we are open to looking at more views and thoughts. And please I would free. be, and I take the occasion to, um, I would be very honored to, um, um, to make in connection with you all. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, I am active on LinkedIn. I think you are, uh, and the, it's the same for you all. Yeah. So feel free to connect. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Rudolf. And we will connect and we are there as part of the uh, group. So we will continue to converse in the group. And please let us know in terms of uh, any topics which you feel must be brought in for dialogue and that's very important and that's the uh, whole thing about the lounge itself thank you uh, so uh, yeah so with that uh, let me um, uh, closing comments from tori before i uh, uh, move on for the closure with carl and uh, the tcd live weekend lounge episode five tori I just want to thank everyone for, for being here and, and sharing their experiences and being vulnerable uh, to share some of those personal experiences uh, online. That takes a lot of courage, uh, especially if you're with their group and you may not know everybody deeply enough to share that, but you still went forward with it. And Carl, thank you for sharing your experience and uh, your take on breaking, breaking things down and being simple and to good thinking and bad thinking. I, I love it. Um, so thank you very much for being here on the show. Appreciate it. Yeah. So uh, once again, Carl, thank you very much for uh, being on the show and on this uh, very important topic on mental health and recovery and uh, active change of ideas and attitudes. I quite like that. And I quite like the kind of work which the community care and resource council is doing. And we look forward to... Uh, work with you uh, in any format and all of us are there for community and uh, we are in support of the CCRC uh, for all that we can do the community to the community not just in Texas as you said the world over because uh, I see that uh, this kind of effort and outreach is required everywhere in the world because we are sharing uh, similar type of problem, regardless of nationalities, regardless of color, regardless of gender, regardless of anything which we are doing. So thank you so much, Carl, uh, for being on the show. It's been a wonderful evening on the lounge. And uh, 
Thank you all for being patient and uh, being there beyond the 90 minutes. And that's always the wonderful thing uh, about this show. You know, we, we love to have these conversations and uh, it was tremendous. Thank you. Thank you, Rodolfo, once again for your uh, insights. Thank you, Angela, for coming in as always. And I keep looking forward to you uh, coming in and uh, doesn't matter if you're late, it's okay. Uh, we all have our work to catch up with early in the morning on Saturday. Thank you, Sabri, once again. Thank you, Noni, for coming in. Thank you, Jade, for being around for uh, the entire show. Thank you, Nagin, for coming in. Uh, as always, wonderful to have you as the partner. And Tori, of course. Yeah, my dear friend Tori and my partner and the uh, TCD Live Weekend Lounge and beyond. So look forward to see you guys again, once again, next week. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.